0: Hey there, product security pros, David and Shlomi here.
1: Hosting the Left to Our Own Devices podcast has been a privilege. During the past two years, we had the opportunity to chat with top product security minds from the likes of CISA, the FDA, Boston Scientific, Jaguar Land Rover, and many others.
0: 20,000 listeners and 50 plus guests later, we thought it was time to take things to the next level and launch the first virtual conference for product security. Left to Our Own Devices, the conference. Join us on April 3rd, 9 a.m. EST for fascinating and practical sessions from the world's top product security minds across industry, government, and academia. Entirely online and completely free.
1: KPMG, Showstack & Associates, OpsRite, Valentium, and ASRG have already joined as partners or speakers. To sign up for free and save your spot, go to cybellum.com conference.
0: That's C-Y-B-E-L-L-U-M dot com slash conference
1: See you there and enjoy the show
2: You're listening to Left to Our Own Devices the podcast dedicated to everything product security
0: So, our guest today is Einstein Stenberg. He's the co-founder and CTO at Northern Tech, the company behind products such as CF Engine and Mender. Einstein is a product and technology leader in the areas of uh, software updates for connected devices, and he's here to discuss OTA software updates for IoT device security, which is extremely interesting. So, uh, Einstein, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you found your way into the OTA and and cybersecurity world.
2: Sure, of course. Uh, So I started working on a product called CF Engine. Um, Maybe some of you heard about it if uh, you work uh, IT or system administration. And uh, um, I started there around 2000. It focuses on automation of cloud infrastructure and security compliance. So basically, if you were to... If you had a thousand servers you needed to manage, and you needed to install a web service there and configure it to listen to only certain interfaces, for example, and add users to the server. Uh, that were kind of uh, bread and butter use cases uh, for CF Engine and still is. And uh, although CF uh, Engine was uh, focused on cloud and server infrastructure, we gradually started to get. Uh, customers from iot so for example uh, there was one customer uh, providing payment terminals or manufacturing payment terminals i should say and cfm didn't work very well there as well technically because it was pretty lightweight and distributed solution so over time i guess this was around 2014 2015 we started to see more interest from iot and obviously iot was a growing field or growing market uh, overall and uh, we gradually realized that this was quite different than cloud infrastructure and servers how how it worked and like the, there was no control over the network for example or the power can be intermittent and all of this has implications on on how you can manage devices versus servers uh, but in particular when you get to software updates uh, it Worked very differently than we were kind of used to for servers, where you would have Kubernetes or some package manager and and do it in the installation. So you, you can kind of do that in uh, in IoT. And most of the vendors or our customers that that we work with, they built their homegrown uh, over the air update solution. So we found that this was felt like quite a bit of a waste that everybody would invent their own way to update or put new devices, uh, new software on the devices. Uh, so uh, after a few years doing some market research around them, we, just, uh, we launched Mender in 2017, which, focused, uh, which is an open source solution to deploy uh, over-the-air updates, um, manage updates, and do device some light device management use cases as well, such as yeah, remote logging and things like that. Uh, to support a fleet of IoT devices. Um, So we've been working, I've been focusing
1: mainly on on Mender since then. Very interesting. So what would you say are the biggest challenges in IoT software updates today? Yeah,
2: so that's a good question. I I think uh, there are many levels to it. And um, I would start maybe quite broadly speaking, uh, I would say standardization, um, especially around the lower layers of the software stack. So this does not only apply to software updates, but it definitely does apply to software updates as well. Um, because in this lower layers, such as the bootloader and the early stages of the, the boot process, there is basically no differentiation. Like if you use bootloader A versus B, or you develop your own bootloader, the end user is probably not going to care unless it's a very specialized product, maybe used for military applications or, or, or something like that. Uh, but in most cases, this doesn't matter. The lower layers, there isn't any differentiation. So there can be custom bootloaders, even operating systems. If you look at the real-time operating system, so this can be very small. They can be like 20 kilobytes, maybe even smaller. Um, then there are like 300 of them. And then How can you make like a OTAE update work on all of these? So so this becomes very difficult because it's so uh, fragmented. And to me, at least, it doesn't seem to be fragmented for a good reason. Um, in the lower layers, I would say, uh, and it uh, leads like this device manufacturers and who you could call OEMs, to develop their homegrown solution. Because now, if I have this special bootloader, a special operating system provided by maybe a hardware vendor or some local consultancy, uh, then it feels like I'm in a very special situation. So that leads me to develop my own homegrown solution as well, because I have special needs. And then you could spend like millions of dollars, and and this is actually fairly good estimate, at least hundreds of thousands of dollars on developing over their infrastructure that works in this special case. And um, that instead of spending those money on differentiating your product, so making a better UI than your competitor or supporting new use cases that delight your customers, you spend those money on and time, engineering time, on creating an, uh, an ota infrastructure instead due to this lack of standardization so what what we're doing with mender is trying to integrate with as m- many hardware and operating systems that that are out there and, and used by 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 different companies and uh, you can future proof your roadmap because like 3 day or 3 years from now there's going to be new hardware out there and maybe you have another revision of your product and at that point you need support from the OTA system as well uh, to be able to update that hardware. Uh, So we we try to ensure that we support this variety of hardware, bitloaders operating systems that are out there so that you don't have to do that on your own, basically. And also ensuring that there is no lock-in. So it's an open core solution. Uh, So I spoke a little bit about Mender, but in in overall, uh, I would say like standardization, the lower levels, People uh, going into homegrown solutions and also lock-in, or at least fears of lock-in and vendors trying to create lock-in and specialized solution. Those can be some of the key challenges for implementing uh, software updates and and not spending a crazy amount of time and money on it.
0: Right. That's actually fascinating. I, I'm curious, uh, I have a follow-up question to that because you know one of the biggest problems we see uh, when it comes to connected products is the fact that it's built on so many components and so many software components that when you come to secure it, it really changes all the time, right? Because any piece of code that you change a little bit changes the, the, the risk of the entire product. So when it comes to OTA, if you mentioned there are 300 different OSs I imagine it's kind of the same challenge or even maybe a bigger challenge because every time you change or you update one OS, you might affect others, right? Because they're all interconnected. So how do you deal with that challenge? It seems an enormous yeah, challenge. Yeah, uh, that's
2: true. And it's, uh, IoT is kind of, it sounds like it's one market uh, or that's usually how we talk about it. But uh, the diversity, and this is one of the things that's kind of, makes it a lot of fun to work uh, in this market is that uh, the products are so diverse. So you could have like a smart toaster and that's pretty simple. And it has like one uh, simple operating system and it doesn't matter that much if it fails or not. Uh, But then you have something I would say at the other end is something like a car. So there you could have a hundred different um, devices that all needs to be updated at the same time. And uh, if one is updated and the other one fails, then you need to roll back the entire thing. So you have a lot more complexity in in something like a car, for example. And the typical, to your question, like the way you would do that and certify an update for a car is to... uh, you do it as a bundle. So you cannot just update one microcontroller, let's say on one car, and then you update another one on the other car because there are so many combinations. Like, how do you know that version two on this microcontroller works with version three on, on these three other microcontrollers? You cannot guarantee that unless you've tested that combination. So, so for these more complex products, like, cars you test like a set of software together and either you update all of that software so your basically your test uh, or QA matches what's out there in production uh, or you have to roll back everything again so that's the way at least yeah that's i think the only way to manage it that you have like you make sure that it's a bundle it, either everything all the different devices get updated or or none of them
1: so i have a question on that Let's say that we're 10 years from now, and we have autonomous vehicles out on the road, if we're talking about uh, cars, and we have a Log4j type situation come up (laughs) where there have to be the upgrades done. And how do you see, and maybe this is a different area from yours, but what would be, I guess, the best... Situation for you for, let's call them SBOM asset management, or we have cyber digital twins in Cybellum. So let's say the, um, the management of those assets, they are software assets, digital twins, so that, you know, you'll be able to, in the best way, do those, um, OTA updates, especially in an event where you have a vulnerability hit, like, you know, for Log4j or any others that will eventually come up. You know, what would be the best situation for you and your company? Again, it comes back a little bit to standardization.
2: So it would be nice if we could know, for example, what software components are in. Um, yeah, to your point about SBOMs, uh, which software components are in an update, like from it was developed until it's deployed, and, and we could all parse that. Uh, I think there are some standards coming for that now, uh, and they are, um, to be honest, I have not done t- too thorough research on this, but uh, it seems like there are there are some standardizations uh, on the format of these bombs. So at least that would be a minimum, I think, uh, like, for example, Mender could know what software is inside this um, artifact, as we call it, that you deploy to the devices, and that all the tools would basically use the same format or at least be able to to understand uh, understand it right. so that way because mender can also see what's installed on on the
1: devices so you can make reports yeah there are standards so. like cyclone dx and spdx and exactly, they're just yeah. emerging yeah they're just mm, emerging right so i guess right. in that case you would probably want to interface your products with the um, asset the, the the tools that are going to manage those software artifacts
2: exactly so that's on one and then on the other hand mender uh does obtain um live information from the devices what is currently installed and there could be lots of different components installed like a car is probably the most extreme but uh even in the smart toaster case you could have like a baseline operating system version and you have like two application maybe one to show the to manage the display and another one to communicate with the backend. So these three software versions are reported back to Mender and then you can um, you can export those as well to another system. So I, I see like there has to be some kind of maybe separate system that takes this information from Mender and maybe this this artifact or software system, maybe merge them together. I think in the case of cars, it, it's probably a bit Advanced, they yeah they have to manage the process of of the deployment and the approval of the software that that rolls out there as well. Right, got
0: it. So uh, many product security teams we talk to, uh, you know, across all industries really uh, still struggle with this notion of post production or post market security. Uh, it's relatively new to them, so. What would be your advice for teams just starting out in the world of, of secure software updates? What, what should they do? Hmm.
2: Yeah, at least uh, I would say don't reinvent the wheel. And uh, if you started 15 years ago, uh, you would be excused for making a homegrown system, I think. But now there are so many alternatives. And I don't talk about just Mender, but Mender is one of them that's open source. And... There are others um, out there as well that supports solutions for, for doing over-the-air software updates. And one risk or pitfall is that it feels so simple, right? How difficult can it be to update a device? You just download the binary from a web server and then you execute some code. but. That's just the installation part. So there's a lot of different uh, stages to doing the software update, uh, just, such as checking the compatibility with the hardware and the software. That's the first thing you, can, uh, you should do. You need to verify the signature and uh, do pre-installation steps and then installation, post-installation. Then you have to do rollback in case something goes wrong. And you have to report this to somewhere as well. What's the status of the update? And um, upload a log, maybe, if something goes wrong, so somebody can figure out what really happened here. Um, so it, it seems it is a bit of a trap. Uh, it seems like a simple problem, but but it, it uh, snowballs quite quickly. Uh, so please do start with something that uh, is already out there. Uh, otherwise, you, you're going to spend a lot of time on this, and it's going to be be painful and uh, just as one example of that uh, i know you spoke you had um, uh, used tesla as an example i guess it's everybody's example a uh, favorite and um, they have been promoting over air updates a lot obviously and um, but in 2016 uh, they did not have code signing of their updates which sounds crazy at least to me because uh, they have had production vehicles for a long time. The Model S has been out for four years, X for one year, on the road, and they still did not do code signing of their updates, uh, basically ensuring that Tesla was the only one who could update the software. But after a hack by KeenLab, uh, they did implement it at that point. Um, so that's just one example. Even a company like that, very safety-conscious uh, industry, and uh, Promoting this a lot, uh, even they did not cover uh, code signing until yeah after something happened. So uh, just be a bit careful going down that road of implement your own solution to this because there's a lot of hidden let's say features that that you do
1: need that you're not aware of at the begin in the beginning. Right. Thank you. So we have a question that we we like to ask our guests, <laughs> um, and it's basically. You know what is the most amazing or unbelievable moment that you've had in the cybersecurity technology world? You know what was that moment, that aha moment, or that moment where you said, "Wow, this is incredible," or "This is crazy." You know what would what would that be?
2: Yeah, it's also a very good question. I think something that changed my uh, perception a little bit um, is when I started to look at uh, botnets uh, like Mirai. Hajim Rickerbot. Uh, it was, I think, around 2016 or something like that. I, I started studying how how um how they work because I believe like the, the there's even a source code is available for Mirai. If you're curious, it's it's available on GitHub somewhere. And uh, I, I used to think like the authors of these botnets, they must be incredibly skilled and use very sophisticated techniques because, after all, you know they brought down Amazon, GitHub, Netflix, this incredibly large uh, denial-of-service attacks. And uh, at the peak, I, I, based on the data I, I managed to gather, uh, the peak infections were between somewhere like 600,000 to 10 million IoT devices. So very large-scale attacks. But then after I started looking out how they worked, uh, it uh, I found that the, they basically, they were very basic. They just did, first they did a network scan, and then they tried a telnet login, and they looped through like 60, 60 different passwords and users. So that's the basic functionality. They had like some ways to make this a lot scalable, and uh, and that was yeah obviously a, a technical challenge. But uh, but it was just a brute force attacks with uh, with 60 uh, hard-coded usernames and passwords. So what I realized is that um, the problem is not always uh, that there aren't enough security tools or, or, or knowledge, but the vendors that are producing these devices, they, they don't have an incentive at all uh, to secure the products in some cases. So yeah, I, I just realized that that, that was a problem as well that we need to tackle. And uh, I believe uh, this is being handled a bit with legislation now um, that have some baseline requirements for security, uh, fortunately.
0: Right, right.
1: Excellent.
2: Thank
0: you. Interesting. So do you have any more practical tips for product security teams? You know, any any tips you can think of uh, from methods you recently discovered to things you think uh you know teams should pay more attention to anything that comes to mind Hmm.
2: yeah so i think uh also for iot uh, defense in depth it it very much applies there as well and uh, it's a very good uh, practice so for example segregating the networks like the local versus the internet which devices can access the internet Uh, don't have any open ports on the device if you don't need to don't have any user accounts if you don't need to and then if you have passwords or keys make sure you you like have them unique on each device so you don't end up in this (laughs) mirai um, situation where you have like 60 that are hard-coded somewhere um update the software obviously because there are going to be vulnerabilities or there are, are there are already vulnerabilities um but you don't know where they are yet um so i think like in summary i would say like if you cover these basics and you you think about defense in depth then you would do better than most uh people out there actually and uh there's two things I would also want to mention. So if you compare like cloud environments and uh, IoT environments, there's one thing that makes IoT easier in terms of security and that's that you rarely have need to connect to the device itself. So usually a, a IoT device would maybe report some data points or or request some services from the cloud, but rarely you would have a need for users to connect to the device uh, locally for example or log into it uh, so this is different than a web server for example in the cloud it has to be connectable from worldwide uh, so so that you can use to your own, uh, advantage to try to lock it down uh, as much as possible in terms of ports and, and so on and then um, there's one thing that makes iot harder than the cloud unfortunately and that's physical security so um, think about for example what you store and where you store it. Uh, if you have something secret uh, on your device, maybe that's even the code that you developed. so intellectual property. Don't store that on a removable SD card, for example, or think about like how easy it is to get that physically from the device once somebody gets access to it, because that's most likely going to happen in an IoT device versus a, a cloud or... A server infrastructure um, usually has pretty strong physical security. Uh, so, so, there's all, all, all this kind of technologies you could use also to improve the physical security of the device. So, hardware security um, and uh, uh, yeah, TPMs, hardware security modules, things like that. But it's an area you have to unfortunately uh, care about in addition to um, to all the the, the attack vectors that you have in in the cloud
1: environment. Great. Well, I think this information has been really helpful for our listeners. And um, I guess the last question would be, is there anything else, you know, that that you would like to tell our listeners? Anything else that you think they should know? You know, some last final words that you might have for them.
2: Yeah, sure. So I think you had a good set of questions here and we covered most of what I can think of, but um, I would like to, also, share a little bit about how we can help as a company and maybe with our products. Um, so we're starting to get more interest from the automotive market now. And uh, we're transitioning Mender to be an automotive solution. So if you are interested or looking at um, for an alternative for OTA updates for automotive, then feel free to reach out to us at contact at Mender.io, IO, and otherwise, yeah, we'll always be interested in hearing your feedback and uh, on yeah, Mender and um, anything related to uh, device security.
1: Excellent. Well, I think you know you guys are supporting the future because uh, OTA. I mean, it's it's here now, but it, it it will definitely be the basis of you know all upgrades, I believe, going forward. You know, over the next few years, certainly, and uh, into the future for sure. Uh, so thank you very much for that. It's been a real pleasure to, uh, to speak to you today. Um, software update security is definitely one of the things that uh, will really keep the product security teams up at night as well. <laughs> um, it's already happening and it will continue to, uh, let's say, uh, it's, it's good job security for them. <laughs> um, and it was great to, to learn a little bit more about it. So thank you for for being here with us. Thanks so much, uh, David and Shlomi. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
2: Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.